But this is not a, that kind of stuff, people. Don't, that is not funny. I will quit. <laughs> this could all work out really bad for me. That's all it takes to get him to quit is bring a snake? Oh. I should have, never mind. To drive out poisonous snakes from the land. That was one of God's promises. To drive out wild animals from the land. You could walk around Israel not worried about snakes and lions and tigers and bears. Oh my. He said, if you will follow me, this is an agrarian society. Anybody a farmer? How would you like to have the seventh year off? Every seventh year off. Well, that's lazy. Yeah, but you got to like a God who says, you can take every seventh year off. You got to like a God that says, you can take every seventh day off. That's, that's a really cool God. Most gods that we have in our mind, they're taskmasters, aren't they? Most gods that we follow, most gods that we think about, they're like, oh, you're not doing enough. Oh, you're not taking care of that. You're terrible right? This God, he's like, hey, I'm your God. Here's my rules. One of the 10 biggies. I'm going to write it with my own finger on a stone tablet. So you got it. Take a day off every seven days. Uh, That's kind of hard one, isn't it? I've never murdered anybody. I thought about it. Never murdered anybody. Never committed adultery. I, I've never done some of those biggies, but taking, the every, taking, seven day, taking every seventh day off, considering it holy, that's tough. <laughs> You're all like, well, you only work one day a week. I mean, how, <laughs> how hard can that be? Bring a snake, leave it here, you'll find out how much I do. <laughs> so, he's made this He's made these outlandish promises. Every seven years, take the year off. A Sabbath year. Oh my gosh. That'd be awesome. Every seven days, take a day off. Oh my gosh. That'd be like working at (laughs) Chick-fil-A. These are his promises. Nobody did these things in the ancient world. He also said, if you do not do these things, I will curse you. And there will come famine, and there will come destruction, and there will be wild animals. Yes, and there will be snakes. And yes, the city of Jerusalem will be besieged, and moms will eat the flesh of their own babies. I should have done the every seventh day off, every seven years off thing. I mean, how bad is that? You know, if you follow Christ, you will find that it is the best way to live. It's not the easiest way to live, but it's the best way to live. If you'll follow Jesus Christ, you'll find that he has blessings in store for you. Not always now, not always prior to the grave, but he has blessings for you. One of the blessings is this. You won't fear death. You will not fear death. I mean, you'll fear the way it happens. You'll fear 
you'll, you'll know, the unknown to a degree, but you won't fear death. Paul, the apostle, because Jesus pulled off Easter and rose from the dead, Paul says, death, where is your sting? Mocks it. The nerve of that guy. Did you know if you follow Jesus Christ, it's the best way to live and there's benefits. You won't fear death. That's why the, one of the first martyrs, Stephen, whom I'm named after, so you can all bring a stone next week and throw them at me. I'd rather have that than a snake. Stephen was a martyr, and people picked up rocks because it was a really long sermon. He talked too long. And they didn't like what he had to say. And they started to throw rocks at the guy for blasphemy. And they killed him. And Stephen is standing there and he looks up into heaven because that's what you do when you're dying, getting hit by rocks, right? You look up into heaven. No, I usually, oh my gosh, run away or do something. He's looking into heaven. He says, I see Jesus seated at the right hand of God. And then he does this because following Jesus is the best way to live. And because Jesus has blessings for us and many of them will not be experienced on this side of the grave, on the next Stephen prays for forgiveness for those that are stoning him to death. Who does that? I have a hard enough time if somebody is driving too slow in front of me. Right? But throwing rocks at my head? Father, forgive them. I'd be like, Father, forgive me as I whiz this at them, right? These are the blessings. If you follow Christ, you won't fear death. If you follow Christ, there are blessings. But Lamentation says, some of your hardships, some of your problems, some of the difficulties in your life, some. (coughs) Do you hear the qualifiers? Some, not all. Some could be caused by your own sinful choices. Some. Not all. We have the book of Job that tells us you can be super righteous, doing all the right things, and bad stuff still happens to you. But Lamentations tells us that God is very, very patient, slow to anger, and abounding in grace. That's, the, that's actually the better translation of that word. Uh, it's often rendered love in your translations. But it's the same word that's translated elsewhere in the Old Testament as grace. God is abounding in grace. But it says he's slow to anger. Eventually anger happens. Right, parents? Right, grandparents? Even grandparents get a little angry. One time, I was at my grandfather's house, Grandpa, Grandpa Winecoop, Granddad Winecoop, and um, I, was always a, a, I was always a tad scared of Granddad Winecoop. He's a farmer. That's not why I was scared of him, but he just was, he was forceful. He had a big voice. I remember him threatening every time I was injured to, to fix my problem by using a knife and something that he called monkey blood, which was iodine, because that's how he doctored himself. 
every morning. For fun, he would make what he called salad when we went out to dinner. Salad was mayonnaise, chopped onions, and pickle relish, and Tabasco hot sauce. Granddad smoked a pipe. He sounded like he was going to cough up a lung every five minutes. Granted, was a fascinating man. I remember being nervous to do things wrong on the farm. Because Granddad was slow to anger, but there were times. There were times. Even grandparents can lose it eventually. We might be slow to anger, but anger happens. Why would God be any different than us? It says in Genesis that we are created in God's image. And one of the ways that we are creating God's image is that we, we mirror him. We reflect him. We're like him. Not completely because, you know, we went off the reservation. We sinned. We made bad choices. We committed idolatry. We followed other gods. We didn't follow him. We broke the image in some ways. But I think one of the things that we image is, is emotions. God is slow to anger, but he eventually gets anger. And his anger brings about justice. <laughs> That's one way we're broken in our image bearing, isn't it? Our anger doesn't always bring about justice. Our anger brings about other things. In this passage, it is a painful, painful recollection of what happened in Jerusalem during the siege just a little taste. I'm not going to read the whole thing. Jeremiah says this. I, we haven't, heard, we haven't heard that pronoun much in the first two chapters, if at all. And now Jeremiah is making it personal. I am one who has seen affliction by the rod of the Lord's wrath. Ugh. Is it hard to hear somebody accusing God of afflicting them? I think most of us struggle with that. Most Christians struggle with the idea of God afflicting somebody with wrath. <laughs> Unless, you know, they're one of the bad people. But Jeremiah, the prophet, good guy. How did he start out? I is the pronoun. Right? He didn't say y'all. Y'all been afflicted. Y'all seen affliction. He says, I am one who has seen affliction. What type of affliction? By the rod of the Lord's wrath. He doesn't mince words. He says this has come directly from God. C.S. Lewis, when he was writing about the death of his wife, is a book called A Grief Observed. And he basically said that if you have a view of God, that, that you cannot allow God to afflict you, if you have a view of God that doesn't allow God to allow you to suffer, that allows God to allow you to afflict you sometimes, then you have a really faulty view of God. Because, think about it, his wife died of a prolonged battle against cancer. And she followed Jesus Christ. She knew Christ, and he knew Christ. He followed Jesus Christ. Guess what? They had a prayer chain. 
People praying for her. J.R.L. Tolkien was praying for her. People that love Christ were praying for her. Lots of people were trying to bring about healing in her life. And C.S. Lewis reflected on this and he said, you know, God could have healed her, right? If he couldn't have, then why are we bothering to pray? If he couldn't have, then he's not really God. But he chose to not heal her. And because he made this choice, C.S. Lewis himself is saying, I am greatly afflicted because he did not choose to heal my wife. We've been there, haven't we? We have been in C.S. Lewis's shoes. If we have watched somebody die of cancer, I had a great friend, Ken West. And Ken West was a godly man, amazing pastor. And he died at 54, I believe, from an extended four or five year battle of cancer. He found out he had cancer the week of our graduation from seminary. None of us went up and said, you know, Ken, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life that week. (laughs) Now, Ken still had significant ministry for the next several years, but his health ebbed away. If you've seen somebody's struggle with cancer, you've seen this. We rallied, we prayed. God did not heal Ken. I found out on Facebook just this past week from his his widow Melanie that uh, his birthday was just this past week or two. And it brought about those feelings of affliction again. And I... I felt like C.S. Lewis because I'm like, God could have done something. God could have done something. I trust and pray and believe God could have done something. But he didn't. And because he didn't, I feel afflicted. When you read something like that in the Bible, aren't you glad the Holy Spirit said, print it. That's good Bible. Some of you need to circle, highlight, underline that verse. You need to come back to this verse and you need to be able to pray that yourself. I am one who has seen affliction by the rod of the Lord's wrath. You need to be able to pray that to God honestly. Now, I could belabor this and go on and on and on. I think you get the gist of the tone of where he's going, but he makes a detour in the middle of this In verse uh, 21, I believe. Chapter 3 of Lamentations. Verse 21. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. So if you circle, highlight, underline, and you did that to verse 1, you need to do that to verse 21. And he goes on and he says, Because of the Lord's great love or grace, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Great is your faithfulness. If you've been in church world at any point in time, you've sang that song. 
you probably didn't realize it came lifted out of Lamentations. Partly because the guy who wrote it didn't keep it in that context. He didn't keep it in the context of suffering and pain. He didn't keep it in the context of, I am the one who's seen affliction. He lifted it up out of there, which we we tend to do as Christians. (laughs) We like to piecemeal our Bibles together and find stuff we like. And, oh, I like this. I'm going to put this on a mug. I'm going to cross-stitch that one. This should be on a T-shirt. I'm going to make a whole new line of T-shirts. It's going to be, I am one who has seen affliction by the rod of the Lord's wrath. Wouldn't that be a... The, the line of closing is going to be called cross-eyed. And anyway, some of you got it. Cross, Jesus. Anyway. This, this hymn we sang at my seminary graduation, the week that we found out that Ken had been diagnosed with cancer. The same week the president of Denver Seminary died from cancer, Clyde McDowell. His cancer, as I've said before, took away his ability to speak. The means by which he he had worked out his calling. The means by which he had made his living speaking to people. And God allowed his voice to ebb away. He was gone, I can't remember, six, twelve months. End of his life. He couldn't even go around talking about what God was doing. And Clyde died that week, and at graduation we sang, Great is thy faithfulness. And for some reason, we instinctively knew that that is the context of those words. We knew that the context of those words that give us hope, that great is thy faithfulness, is when the chips are down. Is when we feel affliction. Is when we are struggling when is when we are finding when we are reaching around in the darkness and we are just trying to find some light and if you are a follower of Jesus Christ that light is the light of Christ and he is faithful even when you are faithless he is faithful even when you are faithless remember the context here the people have sinned god has brought about destruction and wrath and punishment and jeremiah is turning the people's back to pray to god because he's like hey if anybody's going to get us through if there is any way forward if there is any hope i know it is in god and his faithfulness In order to experience that, you know, you have to reach the end of your rope. Jesus would come along later and he would say, blessed are those. Blessed are those who are at the end of their rope. So if you're at your, the end, Lamentations 3 gives you words. It gives you a prayer gymnasium to work out in. You know, your God is big enough to take it. God is big enough for you to pour out your heart to him, to pour out those ugly feelings because they're being poured out. They're being poured out in some way. Sometimes they're poured out in my office. Sometimes though, most of the time, they're poured out at home with those you love. And they're poured out in passive, 
aggressive behaviors. They're poured out in words of rage and anger. They're poured out in words of frustration. They're poured out on those who are innocent, whom you deeply love. Perhaps you need a quiet time. Perhaps you need a time where you get just you and God together and you pour out lamentations one, two, three, four, and five to God. And you make it yours. He's big enough. Why do you think he gave us this book? Bum us all out? He doesn't have to help us with that. (laughs) We already live here, right? Bumming happens here. That should be a, a bumper sticker. I think they already have it. It's a different word. You can't say it from a pulpit. Bumming happens. And we need a way to communicate this to God. But we also need that hope. We're going to sing Great is Thy Faithfulness to wrap up our time together. That's going to come and we're going to do it old school style, hymn style. It's going to be awesome. Wherever you find yourself today, let's pour out our hearts to God in this. Let's go ahead and stand.
So uh, let's bow our heads for the benediction. Father, thank you for your faithfulness. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. More, may the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. May the Lord smile upon you and be gracious to you. May you experience God's faithfulness even though we are so often faithless. Amen.